Good morning. We've got a couple guests joining us for our community stories this morning to talk about feeding our community's partners. FOCP is what it's known for short, or a lot of people know it as the Backpack Food Program. And with me today, I have Sarah McDonald, the program manager, and Scott Nelson, the chair of the board. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning, Karen. Good morning to both of you. Well, first of all, what is Feeding Our Communities Partners, FOCP? I'll talk to Sarah since this is your program. Yeah, sure. So uh, Feeding Our Communities Partners is an organization um, whose mission is to solve youth hunger. And we do that through a couple of different programs. We have the Backpack Food Program, which serves uh, youth in grades K through 5, and the Power Pack Program, which serves youth in 6 through 8. Um, we are in 29 different schools across five school districts. So we're, our largest district is here in Mankato. Um, we serve youth in both um, the public and some parochial schools. And then we're also in Lake Crystal, Nicollet, St. Clair, and Maple River. How old is this program? I mean, I've heard of the backpack program for a while because I've known of kids that somehow are involved in one way or another. So yeah, when we, did this start? We just celebrated our 10-year last year. Does that sound right, Scott? Yep, 10 yeah. years. And Scott, now you're involved in this You're yep. as a community volunteer. Tell me what's your role and what you've been in and why you've been involved in this. Yeah, my, my fourth year as a board, currently serving as a board chair. Um, I was recruited to the board when I was working at MinStar Bank here four years ago, four and a half years ago, and had sat down, had lunch with the executive director, Sherry Sanders Silva, and was completely sold on the program. And from there, it's kind of been both feet in and uh, absolutely love having a small role in such an amazing program that helps so many youth out in our in our region uh, fight that youth hunger and, and come to school with full stomachs and ready to learn after a weekend. You've got a couple kids yourself, correct? I do have a five-year-old and a two-year-old. None, neither one of them school <laughs> okay. age yet, but uh, yeah, definitely... Uh, Keep me on my toes. Well, great. Great to have both of you here. What is the need out there? I mean, a lot of people, maybe you don't see it so much. And since we've been in COVID, everybody was locked in at home. These kids weren't in school, so they weren't getting their regular food from the lunch programs, example. So what what was the turn you had to take last year because of the, the COVID? Yeah. So firstly, I think hunger is a really um, is really interesting because it's one of those kind of silent needs. You don't always see it or it's not as apparent to a lot of people. Um, and so our program steps in to provide a breakfast, lunch and a snack for kids for each day that they're scheduled to be out of school, um, because we do know that a lot of those families do rely on the school system to be getting those two meals per day. And then they're hopefully getting that like evening meal. Um, traditionally, we offer our programs by providing the food packs directly to the schools, usually on a Thursday afternoon, um, so that teachers can put them into their backpacks on Friday. But with COVID, every school has kind of been different in how they're operating, and they have been fluctuating. You know, are they in school? Are they doing hybrid? Are they completely shut down for a while? So one of the concepts that our families really um, uh, repeat to us quite often is the concept of worry. And so we just decided to do monthly box deliveries until things start to stabilize just to ensure that food is arriving directly at their doorstep. So they have it for each day that they're out of school. So what does that look like? Yeah, so it's actually pretty cool because right now, instead of just giving them one box of those weekend uh, months long worth of weekend food items, we're giving them one box of that, but then we also secured a pretty um, impressive grant from the Minnesota Department of Education in, I believe, was that like late September? It was. Yeah. And so we are actually providing up to 100 additional servings in a second box that go directly to those families. So in addition to their child-friendly single serving um, items that they would usually receive on the weekends, we're also providing more of those pantry style items. Um, so like 
uh, bags of noodles, like three pounds of noodles is going out in almost every box, um, a variety of mixed vegetables, um, fruits, gosh, blueberry muffin mix, tuna helper, tuna packets, things of that nature that are still easy to assemble, but they can potentially share like with their family as well. You mentioned you're going on 10 years. How has this changed through the 10 years? Where did it start? Who started it? And how did it expand from there? That's a great question. (laughs) Uh, I know as it sits right now, I believe we've been in our location up in uh, upper North Mankato for about six years. And it started, I believe, with just one small school district here in town and, and eventually evolved into more and more. And then we reached out and got uh, Maple River and Lake Crystal in the mix. St. Clair came along last year. We added Nicollet into mm-hmm. the fold. So it started really small and organically here in town and, and really began to grow from there. How many people are, are served by this? How many children are served by this program? Yeah, so it's a little interesting. Um, this year, even though with you know, with the pandemic, we expected to see even higher numbers, but there's a lot of resources floating around the community right now. So it's a little lower, but at our peak last year, we were at over a thousand kids, like 1,070 was the Is that peak. per month, per day? Per week per that week. we were sending food out of our warehouse. Yeah. And when you, how do you qualify to get this food? You know, if there's people out there listening, I mean, do the the teachers know? Do the people volunteer themselves or how do you get involved? Yeah, I think one of the really cool things about our program is that we just allow families the space to self-report their situation. And we don't ask a lot of like... There aren't any um, criteria for like, oh, you have to be a certain family size making this much or utilizing these other resources. We just say, hey, if you are in need of assistance, we're going to be here to help you with that. So families can enroll online via our online form, which is very slick, um, very quick. Um, Traditionally, they would enroll via like paper forms at the schools as well. That's another option. Um, Social workers and other helping professionals, teachers can help enroll them as well. And who does the work? Who packs all this stuff? Because I assume it, th- with a thousand kids a week, that there's somebody that has to put all this stuff together. We have an amazing volunteer base that comes out to help a uh, week in, week out. And you know, if I wanted to go set up for a packing session right now, it's probably a two and a half, three month waiting list. Well, oh, so get. you have to wait to, to yeah, actually volunteer. You have to kind of. You do more often than not. You have to wait to get in into the warehouse to volunteer. Even with the COVID protocols right now. It, there just is a wait and it's because there's such a strong urge from our community to support this amazing program and the groups are out there to want to come do it it's great it's an hour you know 10 people can pack a thousand meals in an hour pretty quick um it sounds daunting but all the food essentially comes pre-packaged uh, to us in you know our weekend our two-day weekend comes in a giant ziploc gallon bag and then we just have to sticker it put what we need to inside that bag for the families and then sort it amongst the school districts that it needs to um and the other thing is make it all uh allergy friendly we we honor every allergy there is so if if somebody is tree nuts we make sure there's no tree nuts in there if somebody's allergic to strawberries there's no strawberries in there uh if there's an allergy we don't have, we'll figure out how to make it work. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. That being, having to be gluten-free, I appreciate that <laughs> yeah. because that could be really daunting to yeah. figure that out. Yeah, we do no no pork, no shellfish, the whole nine yards. Uh, if there's whatever whatever needs to be done, they make sure that they can accommodate. And, and Sarah touched on a little bit about the no 
you know, you don't have to show your tax return to, to be a, enrolled in FOCP. You know, obviously the hope is if, if the family needs us just for a weekend or, or a month that they use the services as planned and get on and get off. And, you know, you can always re-enroll if, if you need to. So that's the beauty of our program is it's very inclusive. Yeah, that's what I was wondering. So it doesn't necessarily mean because you sign up, you get food all year. Does I mean, how, how does that work then? A kid starts at school and they start getting this and it's just a matter of the family saying, hey, we're having a tough time now or that sort of thing or, or how does that work? Yeah, so before we started like our summer program, that's where like the programming would end. It would be at the end of the school year. Um, we're kind of working to see like how that might look this year. Um, but yeah, families just let us know if they don't need it anymore. Otherwise, they would just kind of be automatically unenrolled. And then we would just kind of ramp up at the beginning of the school year to reach out to families to see who needed to get on our program. And let's talk about this warehouse. I have a, uh, it started, the warehouse was moved into somewhere in about, what, 2015, I think. Sounds right. And so you moved into this warehouse in, is it in North Bankato? Yep. Mm-hmm. And so what happens? Who brings this food? Where does this food come from? Is it from donations? Is it from um you mentioned a grant. How, how do we get this food, first of all? Yeah. I'll let you take this over. It's super cool how the food gets to us and the way it gets to us, I think. Yeah. So we do. Um, another cool thing about our program is that we purchase all of most of our food um, for our programming. So we have a couple of different avenues where we get it. So with our two-day packs that Scott mentioned, um, we have those packed up uh, through a company in Michigan. We make up our menus. We send it on over to them. They pack those up for us and send it over. So all we have to do is bring our volunteers in to sticker the bags super quick. Um, But then for those longer weekends, like three-day weekends, four-day weekends, winter break, spring break, break where the kids are going to be out longer that's when we pack up those individual items and that kind of old school model that we used to do um, when the program first started out so we get all of the like we purchase a lot of those items from like sam's club and cisco and other vendors i know that the food shelf in town echo for example says that they have a lot more buying power than just with your own personal dollar so i assume you have a similar break because of your your volume um yeah i think so yeah. yeah. <laughs> when we switched away from maybe the traditional, the way we started in terms of the assembly line packing, where you had all your peach cups in, in one bin and you grabbed one and you went to the next bin to the J, we actually saved upwards of $20,000 that first oh, year wow. in our food costs because it all comes ready to us. You know, it might not exactly be Dole brand, but it, it does the job and it's exactly what it's supposed to do for, for our youth. And, and that was a, hu- a great cost savings for us, but it also really alleviated the amount of prep work that the staff had to do on a daily basis to get ready for those food packs and running to Sam's Club to get buy out all their peaches for the week or whatever it was so we had it so that that's been a great great asset for the FOCP. Now you mentioned that you are the director so do you have other staff or are you the sole person and survive all on volunteer help? Sure. So I'm the program manager um, and we do have a programming team um, that includes myself and then uh, Jess, she's our coordinator. We have a couple of interns that are working with us and help us out with projects throughout the year. Um, But then, yeah, we have a lot of other little departments up in the office as well. How many volunteers are required to run such an operation? Annually, we have over like 950 volunteers. Um, During normal pre-COVID times, we were calling in 24 to 60 every single week just to help us pack food. I know this is a great project, like if you're a Boy Scout troop or 4-H troop or something, is that the type of of groups you're having come in or church groups, for example? Or how does one become a volunteer? Do you have to be a member of a group or individuals? Either, anyway, all the above. Uh, Mm -hmm. I think the biggest, I don't want to say 
requirement is there's really no age requirement for those who volunteer, but I think probably that seventh grade on up can oh, sure. probably comprehend the best on how we're doing everything and, and not maybe get sidetracked as you go through the packing process uh, just because it is pretty time sensitive and you want to get as much done as you can in, in that hour. But yeah, uh, if you want it, if anybody's interested in volunteering, you can go to the website. There's a, a form on there where you can submit an opportunity to volunteer and, and sign up for hours, whether that be with meal delivery, whether that be with packing um, or any other way that they need help. What is that website? You've mentioned a couple times, but what is, where do they go? Yep. So the short version is feedingandfueling.org. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's very simple for mm-hmm. feeding our communities partners, FOCP, and it also includes, like you said, the backpack program specifically. And what mm-hmm. was the other name of the other one? Uh, Power Pack. Power Pack, yep. which is awesome. Is this a familiar thing that happens in other communities as well, or are we unique in some way? I think it's pretty uh, familiar in in communities our size. Okay. Um, I think there's a lot of communities our size that reach out to us to to figure out how we can do it as well as we do it, um, and, which is awesome that we're kind of maybe the gold standard in the uh, upper Midwest for how, how we run our organization, whether it be from the actual deliveries of the meals to uh, the students, to our fundraisers, the whole nine yards. We uh, Everything we do, uh, they do uh, up at the warehouse. It's done first class and, and uh, done great. And the beauty is the only people that know who's getting the meal or who's getting the backpacks in their bags are the students who are bringing it home and the teacher who's putting it in the in So the you, bags. you try and take that part out where people are afraid to ask for exactly. help that they aren't ostracized in some way because I right. think that could be an issue for some saying, 100%. oh, you get the free lunch kind of thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The students have, I mean, when they're at recess or in art or music, the teacher will go through and put the bags in their backpacks and they pick them up, go home, and no one's the wiser of who has the, the, the food in their backpack and, and they just go about their day. How does it look for a volunteer to come in to the warehouse? I mean, what is it? You said you mentioned the the COVID protocols, you know, Mm -hmm. mask wearing, social distancing. So what would it look like if I were to come in and do something? What would I be doing? Yeah, for sure. So right now um, we're limiting group sizes still to about five volunteers. Um, For most groups, we're trying to extend that from an hour to an hour and a half just to try to continue getting the same volume of work done. Um, But yet we temp people, request that they wear masks, wash their hands, um, and then we'll have you pack up boxes of food with either our traditional backpack items or the MDE items. Um, Volunteers can also get involved with us to deliver those boxes to students' homes directly. So you you drive your own car, take a bunch of packages or... Yep, you got it. Yeah, you just pull into the warehouse on the delivery date. They load you up. It's all zero contact on on that end. They'll load my car up, give me a map, tell me where I'm going. I drop off my four meals, and I just go back to to work that day. So So would you just do one person or several people, or does it? Yeah, it depends. You know, if the family has four kids that are enrolled in the program, and you might only be able to fit those eight boxes in your car to take to that house. But if you have, you know, just a one child per family, you might get four houses. But... It's all mapped out. So, you know, if we were on your block, Karen, and there's four kids on, on your block, we, I'd get a map just for those four kids and, and make sure that we're using everybody's time effectively. Okay. So it's a lot of, a lot of logistical stuff. Yes. Yeah, when, for when, sure. But when they're in school, I assume it's a lot easier. Yeah. 
I mean, yep. who brings it to the schools? Are there volunteers yeah. that do that too? Or Yep. So we would get everything packed up to go out um, if they just had like a regular two-day weekend. Traditionally, the food would leave our warehouse on a Thursday morning. And we have about three volunteers that would load up all of those schools' totes onto a semi. And then that semi would um, drop all the totes off at each school while our volunteers follow them. Make okay. sure they get into the school and then... Later that afternoon, more volunteers show up to the school to distribute those individual food packs to each classroom so that on Friday, the teacher can discreetly place them into the backpacks. What was happening before this was done? I see that it was, I just found my my notes here. It said it was a pilot phase serving 43 children at Franklin Elementary. The backpack food program operated out of a small conference room at the Ark of uh, Minnesota Southwest. And so in March of 2010, before that, what what were they doing? What were these kids, what was happening with them? That's a great question. I, you know, I think a lot of kids are probably just going hungry, Karen, which is the sad truth of it. Mm-hmm. Do you think you're, you're reaching everybody that needs to be reached, or is there anything on this show that we can do to get the word out, do you think, that could help others that maybe aren't aware of it? I don't want to speak for Sarah here, but I know <laughs> that's something that probably keeps her up at night to make sure that we're reaching everybody <laughs> yeah. that we're supposed to reach, especially during a pandemic. And, and the beauty... I I guess beauty might be the wrong word, but during the pandemic, we've been able to get so many different resources, like Sarah said, to make sure all those families are getting their needs met. But I also know that we also anticipated being more at 1,200 a week and not not where we currently are, which is right around 800. Yeah, about 850. 850. So, you know, the needs out there, I think I don't want to – if you need it, don't be afraid to ask because mm-hmm. there's no questions asked. We'll make sure that your your child's taken care of. And at the end of the day, we just want kids to have an opportunity to learn and be be hungry or be full and not be hungry. Right. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Anything else you think is important for people to know about this program that might not be they might not be aware of? Is it any plans for expansion? Any more need? Any more donations needed? That sort of thing. For sure. Um, you know, I, I'm i always focused on trying to saturate services. So the communities that we've committed to right now, I would love to see us expand um, in terms of like age range. But I think that's more of a conversation yep. we'll have down the line. Okay. But yeah. Yeah. We've, we've talked about, do we go pre-K next or is high school the next level? You know, hunger doesn't know an age limit, right? So how we how we go about the next steps is going to be really important, especially coming out of pandemic when resources might be tighter. We don't know um, for not just us, but for people giving their donations to FOCP. So that I, I think we're always looking to expand, but we're not going to expand just to say we can expand. We want if we're going to expand, it's going to be again both feet in, into the deep end, ready to go day one, not trying to figure it out as we go for the first month and a half. Mm-hmm. You mentioned fundraisers. What sort of fundraisers do you have that people can participate in? There's three every year. Uh, in the summer, there's beers, brats, and bourbon, uh, oh, okay. which is uh, up there. A great uh, laid-back uh, fundraiser. We actually have that at the warehouse, or traditionally have it at the warehouse in a non-pandemic pandemic era <laughs> right. that time. In the fall, we have Cirque. Cirque, Cirque de, de Crave, Crave. thank yeah. you, which uh, we've had in St. Peter the last couple of years, um, which is a great fundraiser, and we uh, in the past, we've had local restaurants and chefs take a food pa- a packet and make a meal 
for oh. for the attendees out of it, and then they get judged on it, and that's that's a lot of fun. And then the climb to feed kids, which is always uh, our biggest one, which is traditionally held in the Taylor Center, uh, which raises over a hundred thousand dollars usually on, on average for our program, and is our biggest fundraiser of the year. And all, all of those have had a change this year, but all of them, when we do them, uh, we do great. And and with the changes this year, I think all of them have gone as great as they can be. And we've uh, the team's just done a great job making sure that we we don't lose much revenue in, in terms of our fundraisers. What happens to the kids in the summer when they're not in school getting these packages of food? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so a couple of years ago, we did identify that that was a service area gap, and they did pilot a summer feeding program. So last year was our first full oh, year of doing was? that. Yep. And it follows the exact same model that we're actually doing now of home deliveries every month to students' homes. So yeah, we've kind of been already implementing that summer model since last March. But And how did yeah. that go? I mean, was there the, a, a lot more or similar numbers? Yeah, it went really well. Um, I think we were, I think we had about 450 students on the program um, at its peak last summer, but okay. still like room for improvement. And yeah. So what are future plans now with this organization? Yeah. So, well, I think we're just trying to maintain right now and get through the pandemic, um, reach all the kids that we can. Um, but yeah, I would, I'm hoping that, you know, we can just see more of a saturation of services moving forward as we have those conversations with our board. Do you work hand in hand with the local food shelves as well, or are you completely a separate entity? Yeah, we're pretty, we're separate. So we have a good like working relationship, um, I would say with the food shelves, but yeah, organizationally we're but separate. Your focus is the kids. So yep, for sure. And then the food shelves do the supplemental with yeah. families, yep. adults, that sort of thing. Yep, for sure. So our programming is focused primarily on meeting um, the meal gap on days that they're scheduled to be out of school. So, How long have you been involved with this, Sarah? I started in December of 2019. Okay, so you've been a couple yep. of years. We're talking with Sarah McDonald, the program manager here of the Feeding Our Community Partners program that does a great job of, of providing food for food insecure students here in the Mankato area. Now, numbers, is it like one in four or is there not some statistic that shows how many people are food insecure these days? Yeah, so it fluctuates usually about one one in four, one in five. Oh, it is yep. that, that mm -hmm. high? Yep. Has that changed over time? Yeah, I mean, every, I feel like all the stats have shifted <laughs> with the pandemic. So right. um, things that we expected to see, we're not seeing. And then things we didn't expect to see, we're seeing. So yeah, those numbers fluctuate. Okay, yeah. anything else you'd like to add, Sarah, that we haven't covered? Um, no, I think we kind of hit on all of it. You know, if you're interested in learning more about our program, you can do so at feedingandfueling.org. And if you'd like to get involved with us, we would love to see you and just, yeah, fill out that form, give us a call and we can get you on the calendar. So there is a wait to be a volunteer, but get on the list and I'm sure you'll eventually get that chance. Do you rotate volunteers? Do they, you know, come in shifts, for example, say I would do this month and I can come back again or something? Yeah, for sure. So we have um, a handful of organizations that support us um, monthly, bi-monthly where they will come in um, for their like regular scheduled packing sessions. And then we do also have public packing sessions as well, um, just for like regular community members who don't want to come in as a group. And then we do also accommodate um, groups that reach out to us who would like to come in for a session together. Right. So. Sarah McDonald, I want to thank you for your time and also Scott Nelson. We appreciate you and, and keep up the good work. Yeah, thanks, Karen. All right, bye-bye.